District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. In the last 48 to 72 hours, there has been a lot of gun news. President Biden announced his intention to ban ghost gun kits. Georgia became the 25th state to pass constitutional carry. And a replacement to David Chipman was announced to run the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. We're going to assess all these news topics for you in this episode today. Tomorrow, you will catch my analysis on E15 and the problems for vehicles and boating that will entail and how it actually will harm gasoline prices further. And we're also going to break down some of the reaction by congressional Republicans and sportsmen's groups in response to the settlement emerging from Center for Biological Diversity versus the Fish and Wildlife Service in terms of the settlement, the Sue and Settlement case. Unsurprisingly, we see President Biden announcing his intention to ban so-called ghost guns and unserialized firearms in general, and particularly to go after the kits. And like any executive action, they usually go into effect within 120 days. He was claiming erroneously that they are used frequently in crime, that there's no accountability for them, and that people who build guns are essentially equivalent with criminals who commit crimes involving firearms. A lot to dissect there. It is not surprising that they're using this opportunity to attack do-it-yourself firearms. If you talk to people in the industry, custom gun making is not a new concept. It's actually as old as the country in this United States. Obviously, we've been making custom guns for a long, long time. But because of the new technologies that have emerged, it scared people in the process. A lot of people who are very hostile to gun ownership, although that is a losing, losing faction, thankfully. And why the push for banning this in particular? Like, what's their instance in crime? How prevalent are they? Can criminals truly use 3D printers? And will they go to such a great length to custom make guns when they can obtain guns illegally off the street or purchase illegal guns if they're prohibited possessors a lot easier we'll assess that in this segment and is it deflecting from actual factors behind increased crime that we're seeing why the focus on this what actually what type of weapons are actually prevalent in crime use does that justify banning firearms definitely not But what's the instance and what's actually contributing to this? Why are people committing crimes with guns? I want to pull up an article from Based Politics. It's a great website run by libertarian conservatives, Hannah Cox and Brad Palumbo. And they feature Tom Knighton, who is a freelance writer. You can often find his writings at the website Bearing Arms, which is edited by Cameron Edwards. You guys have probably heard Cameron's name. Great outfit. But Tom has an interesting article about Biden's executive orders and what these so-called new rules will accomplish or not accomplish. And he says that the ghost gun kit rule will likely just push dealers to offer kits separate from an incomplete receiver. And this is related to 80% receivers. 
Instead of clicking to put one item in your cart, you'll have to get two. The split receiver rule, on the other hand, will create a mountain of headaches for dealers, but it seems unlikely it'll do much else. What the White House and gun control advocates miss is that despite the gloom and doom about unserialized firearms, they've only been used in 325 homicides since 2016. That's 0.34% of all homicides. That's fewer than the average of people who are accidentally killed with a firearm annually. And he says, that's right. Biden's new, quote, ghost gun crackdown is responding to a statistically nearly non-existent threat and will be easily circumvented. But of course, this is really inconvenient for those in gun control. So now that we know that their instance and prevalence in crime is very minuscule, let's see, is Biden's executive action going to hold, let's say, in court? I wrote back in December in the Washington Examiner about Nevada's ghost gun ban. Let's look for a judicial precedent. Nevada, the anti-gun politicians there had passed legislation to prohibit ghost gun kits similarly like this or so-called do-it-yourself guns. They're, I think the appropriate term, let's try to use do-it-yourself gun kits because this is a scary term. It's a scary descriptor for these custom-built guns. And if you don't already know, this is more so for enthusiasts, people who use firearms for personal shooting defense. It's not unacceptable for people to construct their farms. I have some friends who have created their own suppressors Suppressors are a little different from this, even for personal use, because they're still National Firearms Act regulated items, suppressors. But building your own gun, if you're not selling it for commercial use, it doesn't really prescribe having any more added burdens in terms of obtaining them to it. But when you do try to sell it, it does obviously have to be serialized if you're in the commerce side of things. But I had written back in December, that's kind of an aside, a little context behind it. Assembly Bill 286 in Nevada. This is why I think a federal challenge to this will not keep Biden's desire to ban them in place. I think a challenge will hold muster. So this bill in Nevada had singled out Polymer 80. It's a company that sells unfinished receivers and tools for gun kits, maligning them as a maker of, quote, ghost guns or untraceable firearms, which they aren't. And I had argued in Washington Examiner that this new law intentionally criminalizes companies, the company in particular, and customers for selling and possessing, quote, unfinished firearm frames or receivers, respectively. The state judge struck down the bill determining the vague definition of unfinished frame or receiver would cause the company, quote, significant economic loss and subsequently violate the due process clause of the Nevada state constitution. In response to the ruling, the CEO of Polymer 80 had declared that the law is vague and unlawful legislation that targets our company specifically for conducting a lawful business and that they will continue to challenge lawless attempts to control rights and rights of customers. Like I had mentioned with mentioning Tom's article, handguns made in the privacy of your home usually are not involved in crimes. It's very rare to see them used. They're talking about, yes, the prevalence is increasing. Oh my God, we're finding more. But if you look through the Bureau of Justice Statistics from January 2019, that's the most available data of this. Criminals who 
were arrested and polled in this survey had said that Gauss guns were not their weapon of choice. Of the nearly 290,000 prisoners surveyed who used guns during their offense, a majority, 56% of them, stole the firearms involved, and 43% of those said they obtained firearms illegally. None of them mentioned custom-made guns. Do you really think a criminal who wants to commit an act immediately will go through the effort, jump through the hoops to buy a 3D printer, to buy all the parts, assemble it, and then commit their crime? No, these people are not creative. They're evil, but they're not creative enough to do that. So they want something quick and easier to obtain. So, of course, they're going to obtain things illegally. Now, with respect to a court challenge, I see and anticipate a lot of firearms-related interests suing President Biden if he were to put this in writing into effect. I think that's actually the easiest way to defeat it because if you pass a bill in Congress, it'll be extremely hard to remove it. As much as I hate the tactic maneuvering, I think if lawsuits were to be filed against this executive order, this imminent executive order, it's actually going to be much easier. And then they can also argue on due process grounds like Nevada did, Polymer 80 did, to say that it violates the due process clause of the United States Constitution. Maybe that's one argument they'll use. A challenge is coming, and I think because Americans are moving in the direction of support for the Second Amendment, I think we will not see this stand. The Biden administration will certainly try, and they'll try to assuage the concerns of their gun control backers. But we have the truth on our side. We have crime statistics on our side, and this is deflecting from actually addressing crime involving guns. The prosecutors who don't punish repeat offenders, the fact that there are lenient rules applied to people who abuse firearms, gun control laws, in an essence, in a nutshell, are made to restrict and curb lawful American access to firearms. They don't do anything to curb crime. It's just a nice, comfortable thing that they say, but they let people out of jail who commit crimes involving guns. They don't, they don't want to prosecute people <laughs> who commit crimes involving guns, and they have the gall to lecture us about wanting to protect ourselves. I have no problem with people designing firearms for personal use, as long as they're not going to be using them in a threatening manner. And I've seen some other conservative commentators say, well, maybe you don't need an AR-15. I think any and all method, lawfully, that you were able to have to defend yourself, or if you want to do recreational shooting, Nothing wrong with that. We have it in our Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights to the U.S. Constitution allowing such. And I think if people agree to this concession, it's going to lead to further eroding the Second Amendment. So hopefully people will hold firm. This will be challenged. And people will see through this nonsensical policy targeting a really, really small share of enthusiasts instead of going after the actual perpetrators of crime. The Peach State became the 25th state to pass constitutional carry yesterday. Governor Brian Kemp, who was up for re-election, signed a piece of legislation, the Georgia Constitutional Carry Act, which is Senate Bill 319 and a license reciprocity measure, HB 218, into law. He says, there is no doubt we live in challenging times. Across the country, we are witnessing liberal states and cities demonize law enforcement, defund local police departments, undermine public safety, and threaten the security of countless American families. But not here in Georgia. Alongside the members here with us today, we passed and signed legislation to prevent rogue local governments from defunding local law enforcement and crack down on dangerous street racing. Above all, we stood, and I'm scrolling down, kind of skipping through some things, we stood up for the safety and constitutional rights of our citizens and always backed our men and women in blue. 
And he says that the goal of these two pieces of legislation is to build a safer, strong Georgia. And he says here at Gables is where Marty and I bought Lucy, his daughter, her first firearm, a Glock 43X 9mm, which she is carrying today. We did that not only because we strongly believe in the Second Amendment, but we also want Lucy and both her sisters to be able to defend themselves. As the parents of three daughters, there's nothing Marty and I care more about than making sure Jarrett, Lucy, and Amy Porter are safe. Senate Bill 319, make sure that law-abiding Georgians, including our daughters and your family too, can protect themselves without having to ask permission from state government. The Constitution of the United States gives us that right, not the government. And HB 218 ensures that individuals who are licensed to carry a weapon in another state are also authorized to do so here in Georgia. What does permitless carry entail briefly, if you guys are unaware? Permitless carry, and this is kind of a new frontier with respect to gun rights. So we've made concealed carry acceptable in lots of states. Let's say me being a Virginia concealed carry permit holder, I can carry, I think, in about 34, 35 states with my license. Not too bad. But a lot of states, now 25 states, have gone beyond that, interestingly enough, to say, well, maybe imposing fees to carry are an obstacle to safeguarding and exercising your Second Amendment rights. That's a legitimate concern, a legitimate argument. And I hope one day Virginia can adopt such a policy as well. We have the right people in state government who would definitely champion that. But we have to wait a little bit, hopefully, for one or so years until we have the control of the state Senate. But half of the country now has some form of permitless or constitutional carry laws in effect. A lot of opponents to this are calling it criminal carry. Of course, it sounds cute and catchy, but is it really going to embolden criminals? Even if you remove the licensing process to carry, I don't think it's going to enable, and statistics already have shown so far that if you look at concealed carry holders, and I think it can similarly be applied to permitless holders too, they're generally a law-abiding constituency. They're even more law-abiding than some in law enforcement. That was something from, I think it was John Lott. He wrote a study about that recently. And does it mean that you're going to be able to obtain guns easily and without going through a background check? A lot of these opponents are conflating gun purchases with the permit process, and that is very, very misleading. And don't listen to them. Hear it from me firsthand, from what I've assessed with legislation that I've observed from across the country regarding permitless carry. Again, a lot of people see it as an obstacle to gun ownership, and that's a legitimate argument to make. It does not take away from your ability or from the necessity of you submitting yourself to a background check through the NICS system when you purchase a gun. Again, it has no effect on gun laws. And they think that we don't go enough with strident limitations or universal background checks. The background check system works fine. It has to be enforced. We don't need any further rules applied to what we have. It's just a matter of enforcement. But those are two separate issues. The crime involving people who are concealed carry permit holders and by extension permitless carry holders is very, very slim. We're going to start to see that reflected in a lot of polling and studies. I think the Rand Corporation did probably the best analysis of it. They said that CHP laws had no bearing on overall crime for or against it. And they said largely the data was inconclusive. So I think we're going to see that similar kind of findings when it comes to permitless carry. It's just a lot of hoopla and scare tactics to really dissuade people from considering these options. 
And if you're in a state, let's say you have a domestic abuse threat, you really need an urgency to get a permit or to buy a gun, you shouldn't have to wait till the last moment to be able to carry. You should, it shouldn't be a may issue basis. It should be a shall issue basis. And I think when it comes to being able to carry legally, a lot of people don't have the time to pay the $50 fee. Let's say someone in a poor, impoverished neighborhood wants to buy a gun. $50 can be very expensive to people in low-income neighborhoods. So that's the justification. And we've seen even permit carry laws abused by law enforcement. For instance, there's a great story out of The Reload by Stephen Gutowski from a few months ago or his colleague, uh, Jake Fogelman, I think there, either of those two wrote it. I don't recall who exactly wrote it, but they said that Detroit actually used the permitting process to go after black gun owners. So the permitting process can actually be used by law enforcement in times to go after lawful gun owners. So I think the argument to do away with permitting is going to become more prevalent. We're Like I said, 25 states, half the country has it. It's not a fringe policy. If you want to read more about this, I also wrote this just recently at the Washington Examiner, breaking it down for you. If you're curious, I will include Governor Kemp's remarks if you're interested in hearing them, probably links to the bill if you want to know specifically what this new change entails. And I'll have you guys make an assessment for yourself. But I don't have any opposition to constitutional carry. I think it's within your right to do it. We may see more states adopt this. Nebraska sadly did not. Their Republican-led legislature didn't want to pass it, and there are some obstacles to pass it in Florida, although Governor Ron DeSantis would like to see that bill pass. But you have obstacles in the Florida Senate, even by Republicans, because of whatever gripes they have with certain gun policies. They're not as constitutionally sound, unfortunately, as we'd like them to be. But there could be more and more states soon that adopt constitutional carry. Nothing to be afraid of or miffed over. I think it's an interesting subject. We're in an interesting time. Like I said, people are more and more gravitating towards support for the Second Amendment, so it's natural to see this policy be considered. So congratulations to those of you in Georgia who are now enjoying constitutional carry. Carry responsibly, carry well, and get your friends educated. And I think what people forget is even if you want to carry in other states so right now, because there are still more concealed carry states, you do and should still get the permit because you'll be able to carry in more states until more states recognize. So your carry permit will still come in handy. It's still relevant. The third and final story for you all today is about the guy who will likely replace David Chipman. I'm not sure if he's going to be confirmed, but he's like Chipman light. His name is Steve Dettelbach, and he was a U.S. attorney, and he has some questionable positions when it comes to elections. But let's briefly see what the National Shooting Sports Foundation has to say about his record before we talk about the story from The Reload. He's not quite as flamboyant and out there like David Shipman, but I think he has a very similar philosophy. NSSF says this about Dettelbach. They want to offer a thorough examination into his record and qualifications and will listen carefully to his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. However, they say in this press release that it has significant concerns regarding Dettelbach's previous public statements supporting bans on modern sporting rifles or AR-15 semi-automatic rifles, universal background checks, which are unworkable without a national firing registry that is already forbidden by federal law, and extreme risk protection orders or the so-called, quote, red flag, unquote, laws without protections for due process considerations. And Dettelbach 
was also previously endorsed by the gun control group Every Town for Gun Safety for his support for policies restricting the Second Amendment. Oh boy, just this initial examination into his record, guys and gals. I am not liking the sound of this. Let's go over to the reload now. Stephen Gutowski wrote an article published early this morning about Biden ATF nominee repeatedly claimed certain elections in Ohio are rigged. The new ATF head has a history of employing heated rhetoric to question the integrity of elections. And he had tweeted, don't let Yost distract you. He's part of the mess. He caught secret meetings rigged elections that he tweeted in 2018. And according to a review of Dettelbach social media by The Reload, found he sent 17 different tweets declaring elections in Ohio were rigged in multiple ways. He repeated the election rigging claim in a local media interview, and he penned an op-ed accusing a local official of defending a voter registration policy he called insidious and tantamount to cheating in the election. So we have another conspiracy theorist. (laughs) At our hands, David Chipman would say some crazy stuff. But Stephen and The Reload have been really determined and really effective in finding and digging out who these nominees are. Stephen Katowski and his website should deserve a lot of credit for crushing David Chipman's nomination. The Senate Judiciary Committee, members of that committee on the Republican side, cited Stephen's reporting work very heavily, and that caught the attention of the three Democrats who voted against David Chipman or said they couldn't support him. So Stephen and the Reloads work carries a lot of weight. So when they're putting out stuff like this, this is where you have to pay attention. So we have a guy who has gone on the record for saying he supports extreme measures, which will have no bearing to reducing crime involving firearms. And he's also a conspiracy theorist. Lovely. They're sending us their best to Washington. This is par for the course for what we're seeing unfold across the river. But we will learn more at the Senate Judiciary Committee on this individual's nomination, probably coming very soon. Will we see the same opposition mounted like that was for David Chipman? That remains to be seen, but this guy is not too far behind. Maybe, like I said, not as out there as David Chipman, but probably a mini-clone. So we will see, and we will keep you abreast with what is happening on that front if we do get an ATF director confirmed in the next few months or so. Thanks for listening to this episode of District of Conservation. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're following the podcast on your preferred player, We recommend Apple because that's where the largest share of our listenership hails from. You can also find us on Spotify and dozens of other platforms. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And please, please, please go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify. Those help us go a long way in seeing how far we can go and measure our progress. So we really appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the word with your friends, share links to individual episodes and to the podcast. Want to appear on the podcast? Have an interesting story to tell? I'm all ears. Shoot me a message and we'll do our best to process your request.